The Supreme Court has ruled on several major cases as they look to round out their term before going on summer recess. This includes cases regarding election law, affirmative action, and student loan forgiveness. Details on these stories, these cases, and much, much more coming up on today's episode of BBP News. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode. It is Monday, July 3rd, in the month of July already. You guys, it's crazy, of course, 2023. And we're here for another news episode. Yes, we have a news episode for you guys today, getting back on the right track, just getting everything rounded out here and getting a solid week in and moving forward with that, uh, if I can English, that is. But... (laughs) Uh, but we've got a lot to talk about today, no doubt about it. But before we get into anything else, let's go through the weather and see how we're looking headed into this week. And so we start out in Los Angeles, California, where it will be mostly clear today with a high of 84 degrees. In Houston, Texas, expect some isolated thunderstorms moving through the area today with a high of 96. And in Chicago, Illinois, expect some clear skies, mostly clear anyway, with a high of 82 degrees. And in New York City, expect some rain, some good old-fashioned thunderstorms with a high of 89 degrees. Whew! pretty toasty over here in New York City. You know, not quite as bad as Houston, but with the humidity over here, I can already tell you it feels very sticky, very gross. (laughs) But, oh well. The one good thing I can say right now is that the air quality has gone back to normal in New York. Uh, If you guys don't know, because of the Canada wildfires, the air quality did go back into the red a little bit over the past week. It has gone back down now. New York City itself is back in a good spot air quality wise, and so that is very good news to see, and hopefully it's the same over near Buffalo and all in that area as well. I didn't actually look over in that area this time around, but hopefully everyone is good. Everyone is safe. No one's breathing in, you know, that smoke coming across, and, you know, it's the one time that rain truly helps. I mean, granted, rain does help in other circumstances. Don't get me wrong, right? Right? But it seems to just make this smoke clear up so much faster. It happened the last time, too. It was hanging like a blanket over the state of New York. You know, not even just New York City, like you were seeing all in the headlines and everywhere else. But it was hanging over the entire state. And then we had a couple days of some wind and some massive rain. And then it was gone. Just disappeared off into the limelight. You know, it just dissipated so much that the air quality went back to normal. And that kind of happened again this time around as it just immediately kind of rained as soon as things started to get bad. So that is good to hear, you know, across the state of New York and hopefully across the entire Northeast and moving into the Midwest even. But we have plenty of news to get into today, you guys. We have lots of Supreme Court cases to talk about, as mentioned in the intro. But before we even get to those cases, we're going to get into a story that's a little older now, but we want to give the updates on regardless. So, 
Putin still appears to be in control of Russia after what he calls an attempted revolution from a little over a week ago. Russian President Putin addressed his country Monday night, that was last Monday, uh, for about five minutes in a late night televised address. And we're sure that you have heard all about this story, but if you are confused about what happened or confused as to why this is important for the United States, then this is really for you. And this will also, of course, be for those that don't really know what happened here or haven't really heard much about this case. So since Putin invaded Ukraine, he has been supplementing the Russian military with additional fighters from a mercenary group called the Wagner Group. The leader of the Wagner Group is a guy who was at one point a hot dog vendor by the name of Yevgeny Prigozhin. Then he became an oligarch and eventually a military leader. And over the last months, he has been very angry and very vocal on social media over the actions of Russian leader Vladimir Putin. And he even said out loud that the invasion was under false pretenses. Obviously, the Russian military doesn't take too kindly to those kinds of criticisms. And early in June announced that uh, Wagner's soldiers would have to sign contracts with the Russian military. And then you fast forward to last Friday night, again, a little over a week ago, about a week and a half ago now, when Yevgeny Prigozhin turned his troops on Russia, where he says the Russian military killed about 30 of their soldiers with a missile strike. That was all Wagner needed to leave Ukraine and march to Moscow. By Saturday morning, they had started taking over Russian military command centers in the southern part of the country, and at first he faced no resistance resistance from Russian fighters, but then Russian attack helicopters attempted to threaten their movement. And when that happened, several of Wagner's troops shot down those Russian helicopters and planes, killing more than a dozen Russian soldiers. And then Saturday night, when the Wagner troops were only two hours away from Moscow, out of nowhere, the rebellion was called off. And this was after a deal had been made between the Wagner group and Belarus. And the Wagner Group said on Monday that it wasn't a coup that they were trying to carry out, that it was a protest so the soldiers would not have to sign contracts. But obviously, Putin sees this whole thing very differently. So, if you are wondering why this matters, there are really a few reasons for this. The first being that President Biden went on the record last Monday saying that the U.S. has no horse in the Russian race and that this is clearly a Russia problem. He also denied that any U.S. allies had anything to do with this whole matter, and President Biden said that over the past weekend, again, this being a little over a week ago, that he did have to coordinate with the Western allies to stay on the same page and stay out of the whole matter. And what is strategically important about what's going on is that this is the first challenge to Putin since he took over Russia in 2000. And now it is showing deep issues within his country, and that puts major strain on the military and shows that it may not live up to the hype after all that we had heard about for months and really over a year now since the invasion began. And there is still a lot that does not make sense about this whole story, a lot of details we just do not have. So as we're able to continue updating this story, we most definitely will follow up.
Now we move into the Supreme Court rulings. Now we start getting into the cases that the Supreme Court ruled on as the clock ticked down to the end of their term. And the one that we are starting out with here is a ruling from last Monday that rejects an ideology that could have upended the way that elections are handled in the United States, and it preserves your right to challenge a state legislature's decision in court, just in time for the 2024 presidential election as well. So, on Monday morning, the justices handed down a ruling on a case that so many people have been following and that is the controversial Moore v. Harper case out of North Carolina. They absolutely rejected the independent legislature theory that many conservatives have been pushing for years now, including supporters of former President Donald Trump. The ruling wasn't even close. It was 6-3 to three with Chief Justice Roberts writing the majority opinion and being joined by all three liberal justices, as well as two other conservative justices, those being Amy Coney Barrett and Brett Kavanaugh. As we reported around this time last year, the North Carolina state legislatures had appealed a North Carolina Supreme Court ruling saying that a congressional map that they drew was extremely gerrymandered and unlawful. And the lawmakers were arguing that the U.S. Constitution in two separate places explicitly gave them full control to conduct federal elections in their state and can create rules in their state with no check on that power. In theory, a state legislature unhappy with an election could simply declare it tainted and change the results. On Monday, the Supreme Court said not so fast, and in the majority opinion said that the U.S. Constitution election clause, quote, does not insulate state legislatures from the ordinary exercise of state judicial review, end quote, basically saying that the founders of this country believed in checks and balances, and those checks and balances applied to state legislatures, too. The Supreme Court said in Monday's ruling that the people through the courts should challenge elections should they feel that it is right, and they also said that the states do not have full control. So we are definitely not done talking about Supreme Court decisions here as their term was ticking down towards the end of the week. And the next case that we are going to talk about was a case from Thursday, and it's a ruling on affirmative action for colleges across the United States. Yes, the Supreme Court has officially ruled on whether colleges have the ability to consider race as an explicit factor when selecting students. And the final ruling was actually a double rule. Ruling, six to three and six to two decisions to strike these programs down. And the cases in question focused on the affirmative action programs carried out by the University of North Carolina and Harvard. Both of these cases were decided along ideological lines with the conservative justices in the majority and Justice Katanji Brown Jackson being recused from the Harvard ruling. That's why it was six to two. The ultimate decision on the case was that these programs violated the Equal Protection Clause of the 14th Amendment of the Constitution, and the reactions were different from different justices. Chief Justice John Roberts, who wrote the opinion of the court in this case, said in the decision that the programs, quote, lack sufficiently focused and measurable objectives warranting the use of race, unavoidably employ race in a negative manner, involve 
involve racial stereotyping and lack meaningful endpoints, end quote. And at the same time, Roberts wrote that this ruling does not necessarily overrule the precedent set in two major cases from 1978 and 2003, which indicated the need and allowance for programs that focus on promoting diverse bodies in education. Meanwhile, Justice Clarence Thomas wrote a concurring opinion where he stated that the precedence was in essence overruled and that the Constitution is meant to be colorblind, meaning that no race should be favored in any respect over another. And on the other side of things, the three liberal justices stated their discontent in dissenting opinions. Justice Jackson said that this ruling is a tragedy for us all, while Justice Sotomayor wrote that this ruling has rolled back decades of precedence and massive progress. Now, there are a few things to be aware of when it comes to the ruling on this case. First off, the ruling will not impact all schools in the same way. This is because only certain schools across the nation really use race as an explicit factor in their application process. These schools are those that are most selective and competitive, such as Yale, Brown, Dartmouth, etc. These schools will now have to determine a race-neutral system for selecting applicants that still allows them to maintain the level of diversity that they desire. And that brings us to point number two, with the Biden administration saying that they will be providing guidance for these schools, and this guidance will be aimed to help them maintain diversity in different ways without violating the ruling from the Supreme Court. And as we gain more information about this guidance and what will happen moving forward, we will definitely update you guys here. And now, finally, we get to the ruling that everyone has been talking about and waiting for over the past number of months. And that is the ruling on President Biden's student loan forgiveness plan. The Supreme Court ruled on it. It was their last decision of the term, but we now have the answer to this program's fate. And in a 6-3 decision split along ideological lines once again, the Supreme Court ruled to block the program. This ruling came in two different pieces, both of which we have talked about at length in the past. Now, first was the issue of legal standing, with the court ruling that the Republican states bringing the case to have the program blocked did indeed have the legal right to bring the case. Now, we have talked about this before again at length, but one of the main arguments from the Biden administration on this matter was that it should have been the loan service providers these states were defending that should have brought the case to the Supreme Court. However, it was written in the opinion of the court that these providers were created by the states, supervised by the states, and served a public function for their states, so they were attached closely enough to allow the case to move forward. And the main example used throughout the oral arguments and throughout this case was the loan service provider based out of Missouri known as Mohila. Now, this brought us to the ruling on the actual program itself, which, as I mentioned before, was inevitably shut down. 
Now, seen in the ruling, the court applied the major questions doctrine to block the program, stating that Congress would have had to approve of a program that was set to affect the U.S. economy to such a drastic extent. They also shot down the idea of using the HEROES Act as a way to pass this program, saying that it was never meant to be used to this capacity. And even beyond that, within the opinion of the court, it was written that in the attempt to create this program, the education secretary went beyond the scope of his powers, trying to write and create an entirely new portion of the Higher Education Act, in essence anyway, uh, rather than properly using the waiving and modifications power granted to him. So this officially means that the $400 billion planned out in federal student loan forgiveness will not be moving forward. That being said, President Biden is continuing to push forward on finding a path to student loan forgiveness. In remarks made on Friday, soon after the ruling from the court, Biden detailed the programs that already exist to help hundreds of thousands of people with their loans. This includes programs to help different groups that work within the public sector, such as firefighters, teachers, law enforcement, and more. And there is also a program to help borrowers save as much money as possible, ensuring that they pay no more than 5% of their monthly income, and that is after paying for necessities, and this is payments on their student loans. But that being said, what about the new programs? What about new efforts to try and push through some student loan forgiveness? Well, the president didn't really go into a lot of detail about the plans moving forward when it comes to new programs, although there was one plan that we did get to see some details for, and this program was the 12-month on-ramp protection program, a program focused on helping borrowers avoid defaulting on their loans. This will be a program that allows borrowers for one year to avoid defaulting on their loans if they are struggling to pay them. Now, it's very important to note that this is not a pause on their payments like we are seeing right now to this day. Payments will still be due. However, these borrowers that struggle to pay and are part of this program will not be in danger of defaulting on that debt and thus will not be in danger of losing their credit score. And that, of course, again, was for a one year period. And there is still a lot to come from this entire ruling and from this situation. We are expecting to see more when it comes to details about more student loan relief programs, and we will update that information as it is made available to us. At the moment, we do know that student loan payments are set to start towards the end of the summer, right around the end of August. We don't have any rapid news for you today, so we're going to jump straight into good news here. And this is just really an incredible story. So Heather, the mother-to-be of two children, found out that her two children at 11 weeks, were connected at the head. They were conjoined and really had a low chance of being separated. So fast forward to the children being born. Again, they were conjoined at the head. This is a re really rare form of conjoined twins. Again, conjoined twins on their own are rare enough. And then this form is even more rare. And they really had a 2% 
chance of survival if they went through the surgery to separate them. Well, that 2% was enough as they made it through the surgery and are now thriving. Now, they do have a couple of developmental issues. You know, they, they're dealing with some disabilities along the way. They haven't hit the milestones at the normal times that you see from other kids. You know, so these two kids, their names are Abby and Aaron, and they are now seven years old and graduating kindergarten. So they are thriving. They are thriving and happy as can be, and they are starting to hit some of those milestones and really starting to come into their own, as one of them has begun to walk. She began walking at five years old, and the other at seven is beginning to walk now as well. So they are hitting some milestones slower than other kids and dealing with some issues along the way some other issues along the way however they are alive they are thriving they are happy and really the sky is the limit you know and who knows who knows how far they will be able to go the sky is the limit for these two and really just the fact that they survived is a miracle enough and is incredible enough and so to see them you know graduating kindergarten and succeeding and moving up is just amazing to watch through and through So I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. We will be back here tomorrow morning for an episode of Eye on the Ball, followed by an episode of Idiots in the News on Wednesday and another news episode on Friday. Make sure to join us on Clubhouse as well in the afternoons for live streams of these episodes, as well as more information, more news, more conversation, whether it be about news like in today's room that we will have today, more sports news for tomorrow's show, uh, more Idiots in the News on Wednesday and crazy crazy stories that you will not want to miss so don't miss out link in the show notes that is open to everybody and anybody that wants to join with us so i hope you guys have a great start to your week a great rest of your monday and we will see you very soon bye guys 